0: Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of Rackend, and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. This Cloud 2030 one-on-one podcast is with Chris Saltris. He is the CEO of MistIO, which is a multi-cloud management platform, and we go in deep about what is multi-cloud management, what where it works, where it doesn't, uh, the challenges of it. So great content about really pertinent
1: issues uh, facing the cloud. Here's a taste of of it. We're not into this just for the abstraction, right? The abstraction is helpful, but it's not the end goal. The end goal is to help the end user do something useful. So you
0: can see that this is really thoughtful stuff. Um, Enjoy the conversation. I know Chris and I did. So, Chris, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, can you give us a little bit of an introduction and, and tell us what you've been up to?
1: Yeah, sure. Thank you for hosting me, first of all. Uh, so, I'm uh, Chris Psaltis. I'm the co-founder and CEO of MistIO, where we are building an open-source multi-cloud management platform.
0: Open-source multi-cloud management platform. So, break that down a little bit for us. Um, is that you know? Multi-cloud management is um, one of those words that gets a lot of um, attention. Sometimes, not always positive attention. <laughs> what's, what's the what? What what's the goal of building a multi-cloud management platform? Uh,
1: it's uh, it's about gaining visibility into uh, what it is that you are already running, uh, and at the same time, empowering your end users, your developers, your en- engineers. Uh, to uh, run infrastructure in a more organized way uh, where it's easy to know who has access, where, who did what, when, uh, what is the par- price I'm paying for all of that. Uh, so you are able to take action, uh, improve the, your workflows, but also reduce your spend.
0: Interesting. So the spend is... When, when, when we hear um about multi-cloud everybody's like it's a bad idea don't do it um you know why in in many (laughs) cases it is in many cases it is (laughs) and this is i think people you know it's funny because i've been watching rants about like api design at oracle at, at amazon and any of these cloud infrastructures has so many layers of apis they're not consistent they're not particularly clean do you think it's valuable even to use something like mist as a abstraction layer of even on a single cloud?
1: Uh, well, we don't uh, integrate with every service that AWS is offering for example. They they have like more than 2000 nowadays, I don't know how many. Uh yes, yeah, similar situation with Google, all the major clouds. Uh we uh we integrate with Let's say the most common aspects of your of the infrastructure layer that is compute networking storage uh plus some overlaying uh, basic concepts like DNS service things like that uh and we are also bringing in some uh, other concepts like uh infrastructure house code tools uh monitoring. Uh, rules, alerting, and we combine that all together under the same roof. So uh, it makes a sense. It makes sense to use something like that, but it depends on your use case. So I can not really uh, say it makes sense 100% of uh, cases out there. You know, to move on a platform like this. Uh, and there are several ways to do multi-cloud management. Uh, so usually. You will need a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of something else. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a really, it's a really hard problem. So it's practically impossible for a single solution to solve everybody's needs 100% of the times. Uh, so what we usually propose to our end users is, you know, begin from somewhere, get this going and slowly over time, uh, mix and match. Iterate, improve, and combine whatever uh, tool makes more sense for you. So that's
0: that's interesting because I don't I don't think of multi cloud management as a as a little bit step into it type of thing. Um, usually, I mean, let me let me step back. The people who who are you know single cloud adherents, you know, I think are missing the reality of of what thing of what what people deal with. Right? Multi cloud is not it's not a choice; it's a reality from my perspective. And so the idea of saying, Hey, I I just, I just, you know, (laughs) just use only Amazon. It's great. They're going to always take care of me and everything's, everything's perfect. Um, even the companies that are all in on one cloud have other, other cloud needs or might have needs to have some abstraction layers or, or reasons to pull back. Right. So it's not just, it's not just the API piece. It's gonna, you know, it's also got to be uh, something like what you were talking about with cost control. How, do, how does, you know, how does mist? I think of mist, and maybe this is part of the education I'm looking for in, in the in the show. I think of it as an, an API abstraction layer, um, which you know you're nodding uh, is is true. Yeah. And yet yeah. that's not, you know, it doesn't sound like that's sufficient. What what is it? How should people be thinking of multi cloud management beyond? Just, oh, this is an N-API that abstracts different clouds.
1: Yeah, there are, there are several aspects to it. Like uh, starting from the actual infrastructure layer itself, there are uh, platforms which are inherently more multi-cloud than others. You know, take, for example, EC2. It's just EC2, okay? It's, it's not multi-cloud. It's one thing. <laughs> but on the other hand, uh, Kubernetes, it's more multi-cloud. Uh, or containers are more multi-cloud than other infrastructure layers out there. Uh, oh. So you can take a container, put it somewhere, and then bring it back down or put it somewhere else. So part of uh, part of the question is how do you deal with multi-cloud at the infrastructure layer, directly at the infrastructure layer, without even going through uh, the APIs. Uh, then you also have the API aspects hmm. of it where we are coming in, so, you know, how do I provision something? I need to send an API call. How do I get some metadata information from my cloud provider? I need to get some information over the the API. So all, right. the, all of this stuff are happening over the API. But then you also have, like, the workflow part of it. Uh, how do I provision an application on top of this infrastructure? And this is where other tools like, you know, old-school configuration management scripts, uh, modern infrastructure as code tools come in. So, you know, there are all sorts of aspects to it, ranging from the low level, let's say infrastructure, uh, level up to the actual, uh, application provisioning and, uh, workflow management. Uh,
0: this is, this is a place where I think you're saying something that I've been starting to articulate more in these, these conversations about the difference between app API abstractions and workflow abstractions. There, where right, you can you can create an API abstraction uh, in front of another API so that it's so that you've created a, some portability, right? And I, I think yeah, that's been done exactly. for a, a, a bit. But what you're hinting at to me is. How do you make, cause, and that's handy, but most people don't want to even see APIs, right? Kubernetes is, in, is abstracting in front of a whole bunch of this stuff. That's the goal, right? Containers hide all the OS provisioning and configuration nonsense that we've had to deal with. Um, they don't make <laughs> it go away. They just hide it. But at some level, <laughs> but right? It, but it's,
1: but it's still there, right? It's so, still there. Uh, I mean, still, it's still there. Still, somebody, still, somebody, <laughs> is, is, somebody has to do the dirty job. <laughs> Docker did not Maybe make not Yama you, update but... go away. That's right. Oh.
0: The, the, you know, the, the idea of one, well, but this is what we're, right, we're laughing, but this is like, we're, 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 you know, I feel like the, the, um, Oh, Joel Spolatsky ages ago used to joke about astronaut architects and, I think what we're dealing with now is like astronaut developers who are like, "I want to live above the atmosphere and never have to deal with infrastructure ever again." It just uh, and and you're like, "But that doesn't mean it's not there." <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> you yeah, you did, just. Uh... You just uh, place the problem on somebody else's uh, plate. It's, uh, oh, it's you're still you're there. In, so yeah, you're
0: you're enjoying the view from your your space hotel, but there's still a mission control and and people building and yeah, filling the rocket ships exactly,
1: um, and people staying up twenty four seven to keep everything running uh, while you are enjoying this abstraction.
0: Uh, so so from that perspective do you think that we're moving abstractions to a workflow boundary i mean is that sort of where what you're describing here
1: where where
0: you know you can say yeah i'm just plugging into a workflow or a pipe you know does that that become a ci pipeline how do you see that
1: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i i agree like uh we are moving to uh to a way of deploying uh, applications which is more let's say pass like pass is not very uh okay. a very very uh, yeah very current uh, term to name it but i think it well i think it captures faith, it's totally what we're building yeah. yeah yeah we're building all sorts of pass platforms we don't call them pass nowadays uh, but, uh, yeah. there are many people, many organizations out there be, uh, rebuilding past, uh, platforms, uh, all the time and remaking them, uh, all the time. Mm-hmm. And there are like a million options today, alright? Uh, they don't call them past, but they certainly, uh, seem like past. And that's a, that's a very, uh, that's a very, very valid point to do. I mean, it's a, it's a big point, pain. Uh, people need to, to do their job quickly uh, without having to worry about all the inner workings of things. So it makes a lot of sense. Uh, But then, you know, this doesn't mean that all this complexity and all this uh, work that you had to do to run your infrastructure suddenly disappeared. Serverless doesn't mean that you're not running servers, right? Uh, It's just it's just become another uh problem they they are hidden behind this uh pass abstraction or this uh high level let's say uh ui uh, but the, they are still there somebody needs to deal with them and yeah so so where so where, uh, so it,
0: where is mist playing in that in that mix like how are you i think you and i are seeing the same thing we're both sort of living below that 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 rarefied air we're back in the mission control booths yeah. Where where does mist fit in? How does somebody how should somebody think about about what you're doing in that in that mapping?
1: Uh we 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 intentionally try to avoid answering this question to be honest. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing my job as a podcaster. So I'm finding the questions you don't want to answer. Cool. <laughs> uh but and we we don't give a like a very definitive answer because it greatly depends on uh, what you're trying to do. Overall, we we don't mm-hmm. like to be invasive or very opinionated about oh you should do this this way and that's it and nothing else uh, and uh, YAML will rule the world and uh, <laughs> you're lost if you don't if you don't do YAML. All right, so th- this is not the way we approach the problem. We we approach it in a lower barrier to entry, let's say way. So if you are doing something whatever it is, it might be wrong, it might be perfect, I don't know. Uh, So let's just help you be up and running in a couple of minutes without having to do any weird migration stuff or uh, any re-architecting or any uh, rewriting of your workflows or anything like that. So let's be up and running right away. You will get some quick wins in terms of, you know, visibility uh, that you previously didn't have so much uh, mm-hmm. Better controls and things like that, and let's now start building on top. So, and we are going to build whatever you are looking for, not what we think you should build. Let's say. Uh, so we kind of we give okay. we give you like the the planning and the glue. Uh, so you can create this monster of a multi-cloud platform on top of it. Uh, I don't know if this is a good approach. <laughs> well, it's, it makes a lot of sense to me.
0: And and we hear something similar, which is the lack of a control plane. Some people cr- that cringe at this word. But what we're, when you're describing to me is a control plane for cloud infrastructure in which there's there's an actual management layer in that control plane cuz right if you're just consuming the amazon apis <laughs> you know you're going to find out what you've consumed when you get the bill at the end of the month and yeah, exactly. and you know, and maybe you'll find out if it was done securely and <laughs> where the dependencies are between <laughs> the services but what what you're describing creates a transparency and control layer in that in that in that exactly. behavior okay exactly. that's which is where cost management comes in, which is where controls and security come in. Um, exactly. And that's the cloud and, management layer.
1: And that's the cloud management layer. And that's like part of the transparency uh, that you mentioned uh, is also why we are uh, open source since day one, uh, because it's not just about you know transparency on your workflow or your workflow layer or what you're building on top of the management platform itself but it's also about you know what does this platform actually do uh does it do anything weird stuff uh mm. behind the scenes uh can i audit the code can i see what it's actually doing uh, could i f- just fix this little thing that would make my uh, life so much better please do uh, mm. and so that's uh that's why the open source uh, strategy as well so we we try to help you uh, stay ag- agnostic neutral uh not just on the infrastructure layer but also on the management layer and we try to keep our users not because they cannot leave but because they are actually taking value out of the of the product right
0: so i'm always curious about open source uh, business models especially nowadays when it's it's they um they're coming under a lot of scrutiny, which I think is good. Yeah. How yeah. how do you see your business model working for open source? Uh, or how have you structured do, your I, open source business model? I guess maybe is the right way. Yeah,
1: to that that was. Uh, we we didn't really have an issue with it. To be honest, we've been in the open source space for. Many years now, so yeah. you know we started as contributors uh, consultants uh, developers for other projects uh, maintainers commuters uh, things like that so when we when we started uh, building MISTIO, the uh, the choice was obvious to us, so we will do it as open source uh, and the business model was also really obvious to us uh, since day one, so we're following an open core model uh, we we offer the vast majority of our functionality as an open source project uh, with a very permissive license under Apache V2 uh, but we keep like a small percent of this functionality that's more let's say enterprise relevant uh, as part of our commercial offering so yeah I don't see really any any it, problem with it? I don't know what what will happen if uh, <laughs> AWS decides to fork the project at some point. But you know, uh, they're they're welcome to do it. Uh, I'd I'd love to see that happening.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, for I think this is an interesting thing because different. It depends on how you've monetized, right? So part of what you're doing is you're running as, as a service, and I'm assuming people are using you're you're actually hosting people using yeah. Mist IO as a service, and so
1: yeah. Um, we do it in two ways, okay. uh, basically. So we offer the commercial version as a service in a multi-tenant environment, not in, like, a dedicated uh, installation per your customer. Uh, but we are also offering uh, MIST uh, on-prem, so you can it on your own data center. So, like, it's a very common model.
0: That would make sense. And then people would keep the control planes and, and the keys and things like that. So they wouldn't have to, they wouldn't wouldn't have to share it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, I think, you know, one of the challenges that I see in uh, open core from that model is if somebody does come in and says, I need to change the, um, you know, an API integration or some, some part of the code, they make a contribution, you know, you accept that into the product now, you are supporting it for those, those customers. How do you ensure that somebody's API fix to service their business need, especially if they're an open source user and not, not, yeah. maybe not even in a commercial relationship mm-hmm. with you, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, how do you protect your customers in those cases? How do you
1: ensure that it's right? There's only one way to do it. Uh, very, very automated, very rigorous testing. Nothing else. That's the only way, and we we have spent a lot of effort and energy in uh, building a, a CI/CD workflow and uh, automated uh, QA testing and all these things. That's that's the best way we found. I don't know if you if there are any other ideas out there. I'd love to hear them. Uh, but you know what we've seen working uh, is especially in the context of a complicated platform where there are lots of uh, moving pieces. Is, uh, end-to-end testing on many different layers, not just unit tests, but, you know, integration tests, uh, headless browser tests, pretty much uh, everything. So what we do is that we have this uh, workflow where whenever somebody commits something, then a whole suite of tools is uh, running end-to-end, checking workflows, checking unit uh, tests, checking uh, integration tests, APIs, some of that, some of that is done with d- dummy data, uh, some of it is done against live cloud accounts. So yeah, it's, it's complicated, but yeah, it's it, it means now. that we can, we, we can sleep easy at night without having to worry about, oh, this thing broke something in production.
0: I, well this i mean this to me is one of the dilemmas with open source, um especially right i'm making an assumption that you're you're more of a single vendor model, so while you 're open source, you know you are the primary contributor yeah we are the
1: primary model. contributors yeah and, uh, and we and our customers uh we we do have some few uh you know users of the open source who have committed uh code from time to time. But uh, basically, it is us and our customers who are giving back uh, stuff they uh, they need to uh, the community edition.
0: and I think that that's a great model. This is where um, you know i've seen I've seen open source communities where they they frown on the single that 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 single vendor approach. it If you're trying to build operational software that interfaces to do real things. It's not a self-contained yeah. ecosystem. The work that you're doing is really value-added work into the into the system, and people have to mm-hmm. be incented to do it. Um, yeah. It's pretty hard to create. Spe- I mean, multi-cloud is incredibly hard, right? I mean, I, I look at what HashiCorp has done, um, and actually, I should, we yeah. should be explicit with this. I'm sure you have opinions, too, but... HashiCorp built Terraform with a whole bunch of cloud providers and interfaces. They're not homogenous. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not standardized from a, a schema perspective. Yeah. But they are, you know, independently versioned for each cloud. But mm-hmm. my understanding and what I watched from a commit history was that those providers were mostly built by HashiCorp at the f- yeah. right funded by, in a lot of cases, those cloud providers. But they weren't, um, I'm sure I'll draw fire for this, they weren't community. They weren't. They weren't each. You know, at, at the at the start, especially, they weren't each yeah. vendor providing its own thing. Um,
1: yeah, and uh, but, it makes sense. I mean, why should a big vendor uh, commit code to your uh, open source whatever tool? I mean, nowadays it's probably much different than it used to be. But in the early days, I'm uh, I'm sure that they had to do it themselves. Uh, otherwise, well, you know, why why should AWS do it?
0: There's very little incentive, and maybe this is this is the question for you, right? I does. Any of these cloud providers have, until you reach critical mass, have much incentive for helping you? No. <laughs> <laughs> but like... on the but, right.
1: but on the other hand, they can they can do something to stop me. Uh, it's mm. uh, you know we we are running on uh, parallel tracks. Uh, we do have some uh, cloud providers who are helping us, to be honest, but it's not the big ones. Uh, it's not the AWS's and, uh, the Googles of the world. Uh, um, but we, we do have like a good partnership going on with Linode, with Equinix Meral. Uh, now we're, uh, we're doing this. We're beginning this with DigitalOcean as well. So there are public cloud providers who are helping us. Uh, but not the big ones for sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know when this will happen. Probably sometime down the road. Maybe never. I don't know. It depends if uh, AWS uh, decides that multi-cloud is uh, an acceptable term or not.
0: <laughs> they're inching. They're inching that way. They, they're definitely Yeah, inching yeah, that yeah. Way. It seems like that. I think, I think, uh, they're getting an out with some of the, the distributed air quote distributed cloud stuff where they're just putting yeah. outposts and stuff everywhere. But I mean, it's an interesting question because do they need, do you need them to? I mean, they have a huge surface, but you've got you know the APIs should be knock on wood they should be stable. You know, it, once you've got the the basic pieces, how is is this a bottomless pit of integration, or is it you know you you get you get to a pretty fast eighty twenty rule?
1: Uh, yes, I don't really need them to be honest. Yeah, uh, you are right there. Uh, I, I I don't plan to integrate everything under the sun. Uh, it would make very, very little s- sense. Uh, as long as they keep their APIs rather stable and, uh, l- let's say sanely architected, uh, I'm good. Uh, I mean, probably this is the bigger issue hmm. where we, uh, where we have to deal with, uh, craziness, like how its platform is designing and implementing their, uh, API. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. yeah, uh, in some cases it can be really painful. In some cases it's a breeze. Uh, so yeah, if anybody out there is, uh, is listening to this podcast, please fix your restful APIs.
0: <laughs> it's a huge design challenge, right? We've, we've seen, we've seen challenges all up and down the board on, on stuff like that. Um, Yeah. It's one of the things that's, that's interesting to me when I think about it, though, is you know, in a multi-cloud environment, when multi-cloud is your goal, having you know, you're not chasing Amazon's you know whatever service that's unique. You're you know, you're you're basically working on the the common pieces that people need and have have high utility and have have a have degree of convergence. Yeah, um, exactly.
1: I won't build it if my customers are not using it. Let's say.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I know from looking at each cloud provider's APIs, the way even they just basic networking is so different.
1: Um, Yeah, networking is probably the the biggest mess of everything. It's uh, it's totally different in its case. Yeah. But you know, we're not afraid of. Yeah, go ahead. Not afraid of exposing this. cloud specific craziness to be honest you know if you're uh, if you're trying to do something on aws you're expecting to f- see in front of you ad- aws stuff so we mm-hmm. don't take things and repurpose them or name it in a different way or something like that uh so although we try to keep things as as unified as sane as possible we're not afraid to uh, bring in front of you the necessary complexity that's coming from the cloud provider, right? Uh, so okay,
0: that's important. That's an important. The, this is I. I have a Afri- uh, a tautology I use for this. It's abstractions are useful until they're not.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: That's
1: yeah. My, my, uh, <laughs> Spot on. Yeah. Uh, uh, but so, at this point, you know, you, you have to decide. Uh, we're not into this just for the abstraction, right? The abstraction is helpful, but it's uh, not the end goal. The end goal is to help the end user do something. Useful. Uh, so if that means bringing inside your UI and UX uh, components of very specific things that its cloud provider is doing, so be it. So you know the abstraction layer is let's say the base, and on top of this base you're uh, putting every little piece that's more specific to its cloud provider.
0: I think that's an important distinction, and we, we've come back to that a couple of times. But this is the cloud management platforms are about the management, not the not the API abstraction, is is what I'm what I'm hearing from that perspective.
1: Yeah, well, it's not and 100% one thing or 100% another thing. It's somewhere in the middle. Uh, I mean, you know, the abstraction is certainly helpful just to uh, wrap your head around what's happening. So. You don't have to be familiar with AWS terminology and Google terminology and cool. Azure terminology. You just need a VM. I, I don't, I don't mind if it's called an instance a visual machine or whatever. Uh, yeah. so, you know, in some cases, this abstraction makes a lot of sense. Uh, in, in some cases, it, it doesn't. So, you know, wherever it doesn't, you just forget about it. You just, uh, expose the, the raw uh, version of it uh, from from the cloud provider. So I think it's about somewhere in the middle. You have to balance it somehow. Uh, you don't have to be 100% striving for total abstraction because you will be losing all sorts of details. Uh, but, you know, you have to use this abstraction as a, as a tool to help your end user understand what's going on improve the UX of multi-cloud let's say uh, okay. so that's, uh, that's that's how we are approaching it at least
0: is, is there something that you see people do that works really well from that perspective or, or something they should avoid doing
1: in, in terms of uh, in terms of what
0: just so if, if, if I'm improving the UX of multi-cloud what's is there a success pattern that, that people who sit down, and think of it as think of it a certain way. Are you know you, you're the way we see this um, with with customers, and we can tell usually in the first you know couple couple of interactions, um, you know they've 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 got for us it's an infrastructure is code mindset, and things make sense. And you you watch them off to the races, and they they, they they're really fast. Um, and then we watch people who fight that that whole paradigm, and you know it's going to be a long slog. Um, because they keep trying to, they keep trying to break the model. Is there a yeah. mindset that you see that helps people build better multi-cloud ready infrastructure or ready, uh, really workloads?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tough question. And I don't think it's technology related, to be honest. Uh, it's hmm. more about, you know, to, for su- something like that to be successful, you need a lot of stakeholders to be, to, to buy in. Okay. Uh, you need the engineering team. You need the IT team. You need the ops people, the do- DevOps people, the managers. So there are a lot of stakeholders involved. And whatever the end result is, it must work for everybody. Uh, otherwise, it's either going to be ignored or just simply fail. So you might have a solution that's perfect for ops people, but it's terrible for uh, dev people and right. it's terrible for managers. It will fail. Uh or, or you have solutions which are perfect for managers and terrible for everybody else. It will fail again. <laughs> right. uh, so you, you need to strike a balance. If, if we see that the people coming in the discussion uh, are representing all those internal user groups and uh, stakeholders, and there is a really constructive discussion about that, we're certain that they will figure it out. Uh, like, at some point, they will figure it out. So it's not so mm. much about technology, I think. Like, technology, there are so many options. They can be twisted, tweaked. Uh, you know, it's it's not easy, but uh, it can be done. It's, uh, it, it's usually more difficult to persuade people than uh, tweaking technology. So yeah overall, I believe it's it's mostly like an organization issue and a people issue rather than a technology issue. i it seems like every tech tech conversation that ends
0: up being the the, the truth, right? It's not whether you <laughs> can do something. it's knowing' it's having a team that decides yeah. when like when it's appropriate to to take off the safeties and do it, and yeah. it's uh, you know appropriate to add the safeties or keep the safeties in place. It's, exactly, um, yeah. the the teller of telling teller of success. That's interesting. That's good. All right, we've we've been talking for a while. Um, <laughs> how does how does somebody start using MistIO? What's what's the right way to engage with you?
1: Um, so for, yeah, obviously you can find us on GitHub. You can download, the install, uh, run uh, the platform right away from there. Or uh, you can sign up uh, for a free trial from our website at uh, uh, mist.io, uh, and you can be up and running like in a few seconds. So two is, ways, is the, depending. Is there a good, uh, is you, there you, a good starter you,
0: project? What well, how would you what would you recommend if somebody wanted to play around? What would be the the right way to start, sort of seeing the power?
1: If you. Uh, uh, nice? Yeah. So it's fairly straightforward. Uh, if you connect. Uh, one or two of your cloud accounts, and that's it. Like in a couple of seconds, uh, I'm sure that you will get it. Uh, okay. You will have a quick visibility of your inventory across all those accounts. You will have some cost estimates across your accounts. You will be able to perform your your actions through there, provisioning, restarting, destroying, rebooting, stuff like that. But there are many more things like just do it, and uh, I'm I'm sure you will figure it out.
0: That, that if, makes a if, lot
1: of- if you don't, you can always email me. <laughs>
0: <Okay>. <laughs> that, that makes sense. I mean, when I think when I think of, and this is partly just my bias coming in, I think of needing to like write, you know, provisioning script or or connect in. But what you're saying is, I if I provide you know the credentials, I'll just get an inventory list and see what's going on. Exactly. And that visibility exactly. is the first is the first thing that. People yeah, yeah. Understand.
1: Okay. That's a, yeah, that's this a, is a, a very,
0: really important thing.
1: Yeah. This is, a, yeah, and this is very common. I mean, uh, the, usually the first or the second uh, question I ask a potential user is how many, uh, servers are you running and on which clouds? And they're like, I'm not 100% sure. It might be like 300 or 700. Is it 300 or 700? Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so. You get the answer to this question right away if you're using this. <laughs> I appreciate that. That is, that. the transparency is really
0: valuable. Cool. Chris, thank you for being on the show. Thank this you. was a fun conversation. Um, yeah, I had a great time. Uh, me too. And it, it's it's amazing to me for a you know, field that I feel like I'm steeped in. You know, we can sit down and I'm still learning tons of things and changing my, my perceptions on stuff I thought I knew. So I appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. Uh, This conversation with Chris was exactly the type of discussions that we're having on a weekly basis during the DevOps Lunch and Learn, talking about complexity and management and scaling things, um, all really important topics for understanding how to use our uh, growingly complex cloud environment. Uh, Keep tuning in, and if you're interested in being on the show or have something to add, please, please, always, Reach out, let me know. I am Zeehicle on Twitter, uh, Rob Hirschfeld on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and, you know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.